we bless your name. We bless your name. Aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus? Man, aren't you thankful that it's it's just simple and easy to say? I mean, imagine if it was Mephibosheth. You know, just the little things, right? God knows what he's doing. Once I have a name that everyone pronounce Jesus, we can all say that name. And there's power in the name of Jesus, right? We're going to call upon that name and we're thankful for that name. Amen. The name of Jesus, we speak it over our lives. Amen. We're going to go to the word of the Lord today, the book of Romans, the fourth chapter, verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the not to only that uh, not to that only which is of the law but to that which is also of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom believed even God who quickeneth the dead uh, calleth those things which be not as though who against hope believed in hope that it might be that it might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be and being not weak in faith now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able to perform. You see, it doesn't matter what your conditions are. It's not about you, is it? It's about God and what he, can God do what he said he's going to do. If God spoke it, the question is not what you're going on in your life, but can God do what he said he's going to do. That's what it all comes down to and what it came down for Abraham. Can God do what it can back up? Can God back up what he said? So I'm going to preach to you today from this title, Holding Onto Hope. Holding Onto Hope. Turn to a few people, shake their hands, greet them in the name of the Lord Jesus today. It was believed to be around the year 59 A.D. when a great men, one was dressed in rags, a middle-aged man with many scars from the life experiences he had before. His clothes were dusty due to the fact that he had been in prison for two years now. But here, here Paul stands in his day in court. The other man who he is getting ready to meet, he asked to meet with him and he was not clothed in rags, but rather this man was royalty. And when he entered the room, everyone stood at attention and said not a word. Elite Roman soldiers escorted him into this room. This man was royalty. His title was King of the Jews. His name was. Not the king of the Jews, it's lowercase k, we can say. But King Agrippa and the royal family that he belonged to had a significant impact on Christianity and on the early church. Significant in not a good way. His great-grandfather tried to kill baby Jesus, ordered the killing of all baby boys two years and under. That was his grandfather. When King Herod, all those 
uh, babies were executed, and what a tragedy, and that was a terrible day in Bethlehem. His granduncle beheaded John the Baptist. His father, King Agrippa, uh, had Peter thrown in prison. He also executed James, the son of Zebedee, one of the apostles. Him and his brother John, who Jesus called the sons of thunder, King Agrippa had one of them killed. And now Agrippa was Paul. Trying to set the setting here, can you imagine what's going on in Paul's mind? Getting ready to meet this man who doesn't have a friendly reputation with apostolics and with the church. Talk about a grim situation. Talk about being in a position where every known fact points to things that are not going to be in your favor. The head of the anti-Christian family. This family had done more damage to Christianity than any other family. And Paul, being a great leader of this Christian movement, some might call him the, the leader at the time, but Paul is now scheduled to meet with King Agrippa. The head of the Christian Killing Family Association is going to meet with the head of Christianity. And don't think for one second that Paul doesn't know all of this. He knew who he was getting ready to meet. He knew what his father had done, what his grandfather had done, his, his friends that he, he knew about, and, and all the, the great men of God that had been killed because of this family. Paul knew very well that he was entering the lion's den. And if you want to roll the dice and see what the odds are in Paul's favor, I think that we can all agree that there would be no point in but yet God doesn't care about the situations, does he? God doesn't concern with all the details and, and the family history of, uh, of this family. Uh, God is not really a numbers guy, not to say he's not good at math, but our God is not concerned about the numbers with man. We look at the numbers. We look at the facts. We start counting and making calculations, and, and we start shaking our heads and saying, this doesn't look good. I don't know how this is going to work out. Woe is me. How does did I get myself in this situation? I'm now scheduled to meet King Agrippa. No, this doesn't uh, look good in our eyes, but uh, God is not concerned with those kind of details. God comes over and he looks at these things and says, hey, I can help you out here. Let me, let me step in here in your situation and let me see what I can do and I can make a way where there seems to be no way. You see, we choose, we use and our choose our, our erasers off our pencils, trying to find out the solution. We can pull out our calculators and, and put in the numbers and come up with something, answer, and and God comes over and he starts looking at us and all our, our binder full of work and our evidence of, of how much we're concerned about this and, and, and how much we're praying. And, and God looks at it and says, well, you're doing it all wrong. He takes up our paper and he crumbles it and he throws it in the trash. He says, you're never going to find the solution with a pencil and a calculator. Because your calculator doesn't have a, a button that says faith on it. And that's where, that's what moves God. All you need to do is to activate your faith and to release your faith. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter how dark or how bad it is or what the facts are. What God is concerned about, how much faith do you have that I can come in and I can change things around and that I can do what I'm going to say I'm going to do. You see, you can't put faith into a formula. It doesn't work. 
You can't use the foil method with faith. And uh, you run out of ink, uh, space, and lead trying to figure out all the numbers. Faith just says, okay, I'm giving it to God. I can't figure it out. I'm going to let God handle it and let him deal with the numbers. Because we can easily get discouraged and dismayed and, and, and downtrodden and depressed when the numbers are against us. When the odds are against us, when every situation is not in our favor, we can easily get down. But God says, hey, when I get involved, the numbers don't matter anymore. Why? Because the supernatural uh, supersedes the natural. And, and we live in the natural and we know that we're bound by certain things. But all it takes is getting God involved in our situation. That it comes down to us releasing our faith and saying, uh, I'm just going to hold on to hope here. I, I can't see a way out, but hey, God knows where I'm at. He knows what I'm going through, and if I just believe in him, he's going to make a way. Acts records this meeting of these two great men, Acts 25 and 23. And on the morrow when Agrippa was come and Bernice with a great pomp and was entered into the place of hearing, with chief captains, principal men of the city at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought in. Paul had been in prison for two years because he was falsely accused by the Jews. And we have a hard time showing up and we have a bad day. We have a bad week, and hey, I don't know if I'm going to make it to church. This, this, and happened. This happened. Paul's been in prison for two years, falsely accused, and we don't see him writing about woe is me. All we hear about him is still praising God and still worshiping God and still holding on to hope. How can you hold on to hope after two years in prison? I don't know, but Paul's shame, Paul's telling us, hey, it's possible because I'm still here. I'm still believing that there's going to be a way. He was falsely accused by the Jews. They only had stories. But no actual witnesses came forth, which again is against their own law. Let, every, let everything be established by the mouth of two or three. You need at least two witnesses according to the Mosaic law uh, to do that. And here they have stories and false witnesses. Uh, and so he was arrested in Acts chapter 21. He met the governor Felix in Acts chapter 23. Uh, Felix was corrupt, and he would he would do anything for money, so he wasn't going to help out Paul. He held Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews because he didn't want the Jews to be upset. So, well, yeah, I'll just throw one guy in prison and keep everyone else happy. Doesn't matter if he's falsely accused or what. Uh, and so he was also hoping that Paul would give him money to let him go. I mean, if, one, if he can be bribed by one, he can be bribed by another, right? And so, but Felix left him in prison for two years to keep the Jewish leaders happy. And then uh, a new governor, Festus, was appointed and has to deal with this guy who has been sitting in prison for two years for basically no reason. And there's times and situations in our life where we do have a reason to be upset. We do have a reason. We have evidence that somebody said something or did something that hurt our feelings or, or didn't do what we want to do. But here Paul is just sitting in prison, riding in prison for two years for just for no one undue reason. And so now the king has gotten involved and Paul has to stand before King Agrippa to plead his case. Why, are you, why have you been in prison for two years? Let me hear your case. It's got to be a bad case being riding in prison for two years. Acts 26 and 1, then Agrippa said to Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. Verse 6, And, and now I stand, this is Paul speaking, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Paul said, the reason that I'm standing here today is because of hope. 
I'm standing here today because of hope. The hope that God spoke to our fathers, our forefathers, that he was going to promise them and he's going to bless them. That's the real reason I'm standing here today is because of hope. Hope has brought me here. Uh, the hope of the promise of God has brought me here. I believed in the promise of God and still do and don't care what people say because I'm still going to hold on to the promises of God and I don't care what you can do to me. Uh, Paul, he's already been beaten, he's been whipped, he's been stoned, all to get him to let go of this hope. Just let go of it, Paul. Just forget about it. Stop preaching, Paul, and all this will go away. We won't stone you anymore. We won't come after you anymore. We won't throw you in prison anymore. Just let go of that hope, and all will be well. But Paul tells the king, I'm here because of the hope that I hold on to. Uh, and here I stand with, with what little strength I have left in my feeble body, all because of the hope of the promises of God. Our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they held on to the promises of God. And thousands of years of ancestors from all walks of life, from orphans to shepherds to kings, they all had one thing in common. They built their lives on the hope of God, on the promises of God. And I, and he hasn't seen it yet, but he's still holding on. It still hasn't happened yet, but hey, that doesn't mean I'm going to let go and just give up. No, I'm going to keep holding on to hope. Uh, Noah, he believed in rain even before rain was a word. Why? Because God said, I'm going to make it rain. I don't know what that is, but hey, when God said it's going to rain, I believe it's going to rain. I haven't seen it before. I don't know what it is, but hey, I'm holding on to the promises of God. Abraham left a good hope for one, uh, uh, left a good home for a home that he had never seen before. Talk about holding on to a, a promise and, and holding on to hope. Leave your home right now and go to a home you haven't seen before. God, does it have air conditioning, God? My current one does. I'm not leaving that to go live out under a tent and have indoor plumbing. I'm not leaving that behind either. Abraham left his home for a home he hadn't seen yet. He couldn't get a virtual tour on the Internet. No idea what it was. But Hebrews 11:13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. And It doesn't matter if you haven't seen it yet, you still need to be reaching forward and grabbing on and holding on to that hope, that promise, that word from God that, hey, it's still going to happen even though I haven't seen it yet, I'm still going to hold on to that. Verse 39, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. I thought you have to receive the promise to get a good report. No, a good report is just a matter of how, if you're still holding on to it. If you're holding on by faith and hope, God can give you a good report whether you receive it or not. But I know that when God says something, it's going to come to pass because he is able to perform it. And so just because of that, I should still be holding on to whatever it is. Holding on to hope. There are countless of believers who came before us. And they had the same thing that you and I have, hope. We still have hope. And then this world uh, tried to wrestle that hope out of their hands and out of their hearts and out of their homes. And the Bible records them as not even receiving these promises, but they just saw them afar off through faith. And they latched on a hold of that and would not let go. And so it doesn't matter if we see it or not, I'm still going to hold on to it. It doesn't matter what this world does to us. We can't let go of our hope in God. We can't let go of the word of God. We can't let go of our standards of separation and holiness. It doesn't matter why. Because we have a, a sure foundation to stand upon. The word of God is not going to return void. And if I keep holding on to that, it's going to be okay. Okay, even if I don't receive that promise, because I know God is good, 
And it's going to happen at one point or another. I don't have to be front and center for it to happen. I can be six feet under, but hey, if God promised it, it's still going to happen. And one day, hey, we're going to hear about it, and we're going to see about it, and we're going to sing it, be singing in praises and thanking God. And it doesn't matter what we go through, as long as we're holding on to this hope in God, it's going to be okay. One student of Scripture spent a year and a half attempting to tally up the number of promises that God made to humanity. He came up with this number, 7,487 promises. I'll take his word on that. God's promises are trees and forests, uh, uh, abundant and unbending and everlasting. Some, some of the promises are, pro, are, are positive and with the assurance of a blessing that comes with it. But some of the promises are negative. There are consequences. That's a promise too. Hey, if you do this, this happens. If you don't do it, this is going to happen too. That's a promise. But they all are binding. That means they're all going to happen. It doesn't matter what side you fall on, good or bad, blessing or cursing. Uh, they're promises from God. They are binding. They're bound by the word of God because God is not just a promise maker, but God is a promise keeper. And he'll move heaven and earth to make sure his promise comes to pass. And so it doesn't matter how big of a giant you're facing now. If God promised you something, that giant's going to get out of the way one way or another because the will of God's going to happen. And that's what we got to hold on to is the faith and hope in what God says. As God was preparing the Israelites to face a new land, he made a promise to them. Exodus 34 and 10, and he said, behold, I make a covenant before all thy people, I will do marvels such as has not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Uh, and so God's here making a promise, hey, I'm getting ready to do things that I've never done before. And so get ready, Israel. Uh, the whole world's going to see who I am and the God that you serve. And so uh, let's not hold on to the things of the past because God can still do a new work. I believe he's going to do things that we haven't seen before, miracles, signs, and wonders. God's going to perform them, and we're, he's going to blow our minds. Why? Because that's who our God is. He just needs us to see them afar off and say, I believe it. I'm going to reach for them. I'm, I haven't seen the miracle yet, but hey, I'm still going to hold on for it and reach for it and believe in it. Why? Because God's promises are going to happen. Whether we're here or not, uh, they are going to happen because he said they will. And so when God made this covenant with Israel, he did not say, Israel, because you guys are such a great nation, because you're such a great people, you are just so wonderful and you're so gifted and you're so talented and all of these things that I, I want to show you off uh, um, and, and do all these great things because of who you are. It's not, it's not what God said. God said God doesn't care about our situation. He doesn't care about our family name of our greatness. He doesn't care about how much money we have or how popular or how many friends we have. No, God's going to do things for his glory, and he's going to show off his, his power and his glory all because of him. It has nothing to do with us. All God needs us to do is just to believe and say, okay, God, you said it. You know I can't do anything about it. But I'm just going to keep on praying and keep on believing and holding on to hope that one day it is going to come to pass. He did not emphasize Israel's strength that oh, all the nations are going to bow down and flee before you because of how strong you are. He did not underscore their ability, but what did he do? He highlighted his own ability. I'm going to do this because I am all powerful. Uh, I can do what I want to do. And he, he, he made sure that they had everything they need for the journey by telling them that who he was and what he was going to do. If God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
uh, do things I've never done in your, in, in your life and show you things and take you places I've never seen, you've never seen before. That should be all that you need to get to wherever you got to go, right? If God says that, hey, we may go through valleys and ditches, but hey, are we still holding on to the word that God spoke to us uh, last service or last week or last year? Uh, because that should be all that we need to get us through whatever our current situation is. Because nothing has changed about God's word, has it? Only thing that's changed is our scenery. And sometimes we're, we're so willing to throw everything out the window because our scenery changes when, when the word of God stands true and tested and forever. And that's not changing. And so that's what we need to keep holding on to is that hope. So when it comes to you and I in our situation, God is not looking at us and saying, you're strong enough. You've got this all by yourself. You, you've got a great name, and that's going to help you. Uh, and if we are honest, we would like if, if that were the truth, but we know it's not. And God knows that too, better than we do, better than we're willing to admit. Uh, we know how feeble we are. We know how weak we are. We know that we have, what we have is not going to help at all. Uh, but God says, I see your weakness. And I, hey, let me lend you some of my strength to help you get through it. Uh, I'll take your mourning and I'll pour it over, uh, over you the oil of joy. I'll give you beauty for your ashes. And I'll give you strength for your weakness. I'll give you the garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness that is upon you. You see, it's never was about Israel, and it's never about you and I. It's all about our God and what he can do. He just needs people to believe in him, to say, okay, God, you're going to do it, and I'm going to believe. We need to believe what God's said he's going to do and what he, uh, what he has done, uh, he can do even greater. Uh, it doesn't matter how far we have come or how much we have seen. I'm, I'm hungry for something more from God. We've seen a lot in our lives. We've been through a lot of great services. But, hey, I'm not selling for that. I know God can do something greater. And I'm going to come with a hope and a belief and an expectation that we haven't seen the greatest part of it yet. We have not seen our greatest service yet. We have not seen everybody filled with the Holy Ghost yet. We have not seen miracles, signs, and wonders yet. But hey, I'm still going to hold on to that. I'm still going to believe in that. The mighty outpouring is still going to happen. And and that's all God needs us to do is to hold on to that hope. But when it came time for, uh, to take that step of faith across the River Jordan, Israel got afraid. They forgot about God and they made it all about them. You see, when you make it all about you, God's not in the picture anymore, is he? Because what got you where you are today is solely because of what God's promised to do in your life. And so when we get to a Jordan River or we get to, to the entrance of the promised land and we see that there's giants and all these things and the enemy in the land, then all of a sudden we look and say, oh, look how weak we are. We're grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do this. Yeah, you're right, Israel. You can't do anything. But the God that you serve, he's the one who brought you that far and he's the one that's going to bring you to that promised land. It's not about us. It's not about our strength or our power or our ability or talent. It's all about God and we need to hold on to that hope of the promises that God has made. Psalms 33 and 6, it says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he layeth up the depth in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. You see, 
God didn't have to consult with anybody about, hey, should I do this or not? No, all God did, he just stood up one day and said, hey, I'm speaking. Let there be light. Uh, let there be uh, stars in the sky. and uh, Let there be waters. Let there be this and that. He didn't need any help or any assistance. He just spoke it and it happened. That's the God that we serve. And so why don't we let God speak into our life? Why don't we uh, close our mouth and, and stop giving our opinions and, and our criticisms and our complaints and say, hey, let the God who speaks, who can call nothing from something, who can bring quicken the dead, why don't we let him continue to speak in our life and just let him have his way and just to hold on to whatever hope and promise he has spoken. Matthew 8 and 5, when Jesus was in Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grieved and tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Wonderful. That's, that's what I wanted to hear. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. You see, uh, we, uh, we want God to come into our life and, and to spend uh, time in our, next to our bedside and help us every step of the way, which he does because he's inside of us. But uh, the word of God should just be good enough, right? Just speak it, Lord. I found it in you. I found a verse that speaks to my life, my situation. That's good enough for me. Why? Because it's in the word of God. And all God's got to do is just speak it and there's power there. And so why did Jesus applaud the faith of the centurion? Because the man believed in the power of Jesus to keep his word. In fact, the story gives us Jesus' definition of faith. Faith is, is the, uh, the deeply held belief that God is going to keep his promises. The Roman soldier understood this simple truth. God will not... And God cannot break his promises. And so his covenants, they're as solid as concrete. And uh, his contracts, they're unbreakable. And so what God says, they will happen and they must happen because of who God is. And it has nothing to do with our situation. It has nothing to do with what our thoughts are about it. We may, we may not... Uh, uh, understand it, we may not need even see a possibility. How is this even possible? That has nothing to do with God's promises. If God said it, it's going to happen. His promises are irrevocable because of who he is. He is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never caught off guard. God is never surprised by what shows up in your life. Uh, he doesn't make any mid-course corrections, and, and he's the, his mood does not change by the weather. His promises are just going to happen. And we just need to hold on to the hope that they are going to happen, whether we realize it or not or whether we understand it or not. In Joshua 21 and 43, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he swore unto their fathers. There stood not a man... Uh, of all their enemies before them, the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Whatever God spoke to Israel in those early years... Every single thing that he ever said to them came to pass. And if that happened to Israel, I'm here to tell you, it can happen to you today. Whatever God has spoken in your life, whatever dreams or visions or what he's mentioned to you in the word of God, it's going to happen. Why? Because it cannot not happen. The question is not, will God keep his promises, 
But are we going to build our lives upon his promises? Are we going to hold on to them or not? That's, the, that's really the question it is. It doesn't matter how big of a promise it may be. We're not here to try to figure out how to build it. We're just here to say, I believe God's going to do it. And there's no way that I can do it. And so it's all got to be about him. You see, we live in a day of despair. The suicide, suicide rate in America is increasing it has increased by 24% since 1999, and that doesn't even include COVID and what kind of effect that has on this world and, and the mentality of people. If a disease saw such a spike, 24%, uh, it would be deemed as an epidemic or a pandemic. We got a pandemic about a cold, uh, about a flu, but there's no pandemic about 25% suicide increase rate. Go figure. Well, I think we're focusing in the wrong direction. How do, we, how, do, how do we explain the increase? We've never been more educated. Why, why then are we the most educated people that has ever lived in existence? We have access to every uh, piece of information. You can go online and you can earn a degree uh, with a few clicks. And, and you can get all kinds of information off the internet. We are the most educated people on the planet. And yet 25% increase in suicide rates. We have the tools and technology our parents could have only dreamed of. We are saturated with entertainment and recreation. We, yet more people than ever are planning their own deaths. How could this be? Among the answers must be this. People are dying because of a lack of hope. There's no hope. There's no hope in this world. You, you turn on the news and uh, the news this week and uh, it, it zaps any kind of hope you may have had of a, of a world full of peace and, and prosperity and how we're all going to get along. No, there's no peace in this world. There's no hope in this world. And if people don't have Jesus, where are they going to find hope? But I'm thankful that we have found him. I'm thankful that we can have an encounter with the living God and we can feel the hope. We can feel the life and the joy and the happiness that we don't have to be depressed and downtrodden. No, that's what happens to people in the world without God. The people of God should not be depressed. What does that say about our God then? Because there's people out there that are depressed and, uh, and woe is me and fearful and afraid. Well, none of that should be in the church because none of that is of God. And God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so God can release us and deliver every single one of us from whatever is holding us or binding us back. Why? Because it all tells everything about who our God is. Without hope, there's nothing to hold on to. This world extracts hope out of society. It reduces the world to a few decades between our birth and our death. And many people, this world is as good as it gets. And let's face it, this world, it's not really all that good. But the people of God have an advantage. We have hope. We have hope. We can look forward and through the eyes of faith and say, hey, I don't see how God's going to work. I handle this world, handle these wars, handle these situations. I don't know where we're going to fit in, but hey, I can look through all that and close my eyes and open the eyes of faith and say, hey, but I know God is faithful. I know God has never left me in the past. I know he's not going to leave me or forsake me. I know I'm young and now I'm old. I've never seen a righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. I know that there are promises in the word of God that I got to hold on to and keep holding on to the hope in the word of God. Musicians, if you would come. Just like Abraham in our text, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only, not to only that which are of the law, but also to that which is of faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. And so aren't you thankful it just wasn't applied to the law? 
uh, because then we would we'd be disqualified because we're not Jews. But uh, to those which have the faith of Abraham, if you believe in the word of God and you believe in the promises of God, then that qualifies you to be a recipient of the promises and blessings of Abraham uh, uh, because he believed by faith. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, and before him whom ye believe, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which uh, be not as though they were. Who, Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. You want to talk about a list of excuses of what not, why, not, why not to believe. Go to Abraham and Sarah. When, they were 75, when he was 75 years old, he finally called them out to leave his home behind. And I'm going to make you a father of many nations and uh, you're going to do all this. 75 years old. Still no children. At that point, you'd think, we're not having any kids. And so against hope, Abraham still believed in hope. Uh, who, uh, verse 19, and being not weak in faith. You see why he's called the father of the faithful? The father of faith who, not being weak, he considered not his own body now dead. Uh Approaching 100 years old and still don't have a kid, uh, your body's probably dead. But, but, or it's at 100, sister. I don't think you're near, I don't think you're near 100. <coughs> you're far from 100. <coughs> Who, against hope, believed in hope. Even though I have every scientific credibility of evidence against uh, my current situation. God said he's going to give me a kid. And now I have to wrestle with that. Do, do, I, do I listen to the experts of the world and, and every piece of shred of evidence that says I'm not having a kid. But yet on this other hand, I have something to hold on to that God just mentioned to me one day. Hey, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a child. And so against hope, he believed in hope. And he, he said God's able to do it. And, and God's going to make a way uh, even though that I cannot see how it's going to happen. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He still, he still, through faith, believed that there was life in her womb. That there was life in her womb. And, he, and verse 20, he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, and, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded what he had promised he was able to do. That's the issue. We have to be fully persuaded. Maybe some of us are only 25% persuaded or half persuaded. No, we have to believe 100% that, hey, God's going to do what he said he's going to do. There's no unwavering. There's no unbelief. There's no questioning. Hey, I'm fully persuaded that God is able to do what he promised to do. And so the, the, the people of God filter life through the promises of God. The people of God should filter our life, everything we do and experience and encounter. We should run that through the word of God, run that through the promises of God, and then make a decision uh, about our current situation and, and all these things. Uh, well, what happens is we receive news and... That's it. It's all over. Game over. Uh, all hope is lost. There's no way to help it out. But instead, we should take what we've received and, 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 and channel it through prayer and through the word of God and through the promises of God. And then let's see, okay, how does this uh, line up against our God? How does this compare to the promises of God? Because of what God told me, uh, I'm going to either hold on to that or I'm going to hold on to the news that I just received. And so the promises of God, they serve as a shelf of remedies. Our, they should be our medicine, our vitamins. We, we take 40,000 40, pills a day, 
So why don't we why don't we start taking pills of the word of God, the promises of God? If we consume more of the promises of God, we'd probably be a little bit happier, right? We maybe we'd find our joy again if every single day we start reading about the promises of God while we're taking our vitamins and all whatever pills we're prescribed. Uh, let's take some of the word of God too, because that's what we live our life by is the word of God and not by the experts of this world. And so for every problem in life, God gives us a promise. He gives us an answer. There's an answer to everything in the word of God. It's the question is, do we open it and read it and say, oh, I wonder what God talks, the word of God says about this situation. And I bet you if, we, if you, we, you, when you look and find it, you'll find an answer and it'll change your mindset. It might change your attitude, change your outcome and say, hey, it's found in the word of God and that's what I live my life by. And so I'm going to hold on to the hope that I see in here. We stand with me today. You may be feeling... fearful or, or anxious about some news you just received. And so either we can get lost and let our mind, imagination just go crazy. And they do go crazy real quick. But we got to make sure we stay grounded. And the word of God is going to be that, that stone that, that holds us, that anchor that keeps us from, from going crazy about what we hear. And so we may... We may get some bad news or, or a situation unfolds not like we expected to. Uh, and so it's time to me to open up the word of God and just find some hope and some promises in there. And, and Judges 6 and 12 says, the Lord is with thee. What else do you need to know? The Lord is with me. God is with me. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Hey, I've got God on my side. Everything's going to be good now. I just need a reminder that, hey, the Lord is with me. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. When this world feels out of control, it's time for a dose of Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. All things work together for good, the good and the bad. Hey, it's all going to work out better in the end, and so that's what i got to take, take my hope in. I see dark clouds on the horizon. What was it that Jesus said about something like that? Okay, now I remember John 16, 33. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, just when you look around and you see tribulation, tribulation steals your hope, it steals your faith, but Jesus says, hey, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be, you're, you should be happy about your life. Why? Because I have overcome the world. If Jesus has already defeated the world, why do I need to fear what the world says? I'm going to put my hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand upon his word and upon his promises, and I know that everything's going to work out and be Okay. Jesus told the story of two home builders. They had similar supplies and plans. They had identical uh, goals and dreams and aspirations. They were very similar. Each wanted to build a house, but one preferred the cheap and easy way to build in the sand. And the other one adopted the, the more expensive and, and harder way to build, but to build upon a foundation of stone, to be anchored to that stone. You see, you can, with sand, you can just drive the, the stakes in the ground and it'll hold it for a little bit. But hey, if you want to anchor into the, into the rocks, it's going to take some extra work. It's going to take some blood, sweat, and tears, and sacrifice. But you'll be anchored in the word of, in, the, in the stone. And he says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto the foolish man who has built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat that house, and it fell, and the great was the fall. 
life happens to both of them. Rain, wind, hurricanes, doesn't matter who you are. You go to church or not, hurricanes come, it's going to hit your house. But that's not the question. The question now becomes, what is your foundation? What is your hope anchored in? What is your faith uh, bound by? Is it anchored in the Word of God? Are you going to stand and hold on to the promises of God saying, yeah, God is able. I'm not able, but God is able. It's never about us. It's always about Him. Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him to our God. And he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper into the thing whether to I sin. You see, it has nothing to do with us. It's all about God. It's all about His word and His promises. We just have to bind together in faith and say, hey, I'm going to hold on to hope. I'm going to hold on to faith and believe it's going to happen. So I would open up these altars today that if you can just grab a little bit of your details of your life, grab some of the, the situations uh, of the, the things you're facing around and just say, hey, I'm grabbing a hold of these. I'm going to bring them down to God and I'm going to let them go and I'm going to let God have his way. What are you facing right now? I'm here to tell you God is able to bring you out of that. God can deliver you today. Come on, we are the people of God. We should not be down and depressed, but hey, we've got stuff to hold on to. We've got the word of God. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard. Hey, we're that standard. Come on, let's bind together. Let's shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Why? Because we are victorious. We are the people of God. Come on, what is it that you need from him today? A little bit of hope, a little bit of strength. God is able to do what he said he's going to do. Do you believe that? Come on, let's worship the Lord today. Let's worship together. Come on. He can bring you out of your darkness. Release faith in your life. Come on, let's bind together. We're two or three green. Come on, he can do it. It's not about our ability, our strength. somebody next to you and bind together. Let's release our 